not stirred. The Retro Cocktail Hour, coming up tonight at 7 on Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Radio Catskill, local news, culture, and NPR. Good evening and welcome to the local edition live from Radio Catskill Studios in Liberty, New York. I'm your host, Jason Dole. And thank you so much for being here with me. Coming up, there's a new uh, outpatient service helping local folks with mental health. We'll meet Astor Services coming up in the second half of the program. Before that, it's time for the latest news from the River Reporter. For that, we turn to the River Reporter's reporter, Ruby Rayner, joining us on the phone once again. Ruby, thank you for being here with us. Thanks for having me. So, um, I guess let's start tonight with the Vietnam War. Um, how and why did the Vietnam War come up at a re- recent uh, Town Highland board meeting? Yeah, so this actually wasn't a board meeting. It was just a town hall that was held. Um, and it was held in relation to the new appointed deputy supervisor of the, the town of Highland by um, Pizzolatto, who's the town supervisor. And it will be Glenn Pontier. And Glenn Pontier, as he self-proclaims, is a, was and is a conscientious um, objector to the Vietnam War, and many of the veterans um, in Highland were upset and I think felt very slighted by him serving in the deputy position, and so this town hall was held in order to discuss their concerns and for Mr. Pontier to be able to explain his situation and hopefully everyone to air their grievances and to understand each other better. Okay, um, I'm sorry, I misunderstood this. I thought this was something that just came up at a regular town meeting. Are you saying that this town hall was held specifically to address this topic? Yes, correct. There was um, veterans, I think, who who felt very concerned about his appointment. And so to address those concerns, yeah. So what, what are some of the concerns that they've got? Like, what are, what are their objections? Yeah, so some some of the veterans who attended the meeting and were speaking were saying that, you know, they they called um, Mr. Pontier a draft dodger um, as well as a felon. He did serve a 10-month sentence because of his um, conscientious objection. And he kind of explained to them that he was raised as a pacifist um, and it was part of his belief system. And he made a point to say that, you know, it wasn't that he, you know, evaded service by going to school or moving to Canada, but that it was like an intentional decision based on his beliefs and that, you know, he has never burned an American flag. He wants to support the veterans in his position um, and that he wants to listen to them and, and hear them. And I think that they, you know, at the end, one of the veterans said, you know, there, I understand. I, I think you're like a good person, he said, but you're just not the right person for for this job. 
um, feeling as though, yes, maybe it, it doesn't make him a good or bad person, but that the vet, certain veterans in Highland would rather there not be a conscientious objector serving in this deputy supervisor position. Okay, and you, you want to just talk a little bit about position uh, and you know what what he would actually be doing before we talk about what happens next? Yeah, so the deputy supervisor um, is appointed by the supervisor of the town, so they don't necessarily need to be an elected official. Typically, they are, and like someone has in the past historically, will appoint somebody else who's been elected to the town board to serve. So that was another thing that, the, that certain um, objectors were pointing out, that like this this is uncommon, but there have been in the past in the town of Highland, Fred Bosch and Josh Suddenheim also served as deputy supervisors while they were not elected officials. So it's a completely appointed position and, you know, they serve in the capacity to help the supervisor um, in any way that they need. And if for whatever reason the supervisor couldn't do something, they can um, shoulder those responsibilities. So having a chance to uh, hear these concerns and grievances, what happens next? So I think, honestly, people seem to, I think, walk away appreciative of hearing, you know, everybody's opinions. It was, I think, a productive conversation. Um, he will move forward as uh, serving as the deputy supervisor um, and... I think it was definitely, I haven't, I have it in my time covering, which has, you know, only been a couple of months, but there, I've never been to a board meeting that's kind of specifically around one particular issue in order to hear people's concerns that's outside of the regular town board. So I think it was definitely um, a new, you know, exercising a new, trying something new out and seeing how it works. And I think people... People felt glad at the end that they were able, someone said, you know, they were, they were really happy. They were, he was, they were able to hear his backstory. Um, and I think it shows how, like, you know, historical events that may seem, right, like it's like 50 years ago that are, like, very impactful in intercommunity relationships and politics and, and how we view each other and, and operate. And acknowledging that and talking about that could potentially be beneficial. All right. Um, well, and thanks for going over that. That was that, that was interesting. I, it was not what I was expecting. <laughs> uh, I don't think anybody was expecting that. But uh, they went over it in Town Highland. It's good to hear that folks folks might be moving forward. Um, I want to talk now about uh, uh, a film that was raising awareness in, in conjunction with the, the Black Library. And this is um, about awareness of a high death toll among uh, black mothers. And now the 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 mortality rate for mothers in the the U.S. is higher than the rest of the world. And my understanding, the last I heard, but this info might be a few years old, is that uh, uh, black women are almost two to three times more likely to die in childbirth uh, than white women. Uh, is is that an accurate take? And what was this uh, event happening at the Black Library that covers this? Yeah, so... Um, just just so that listeners are um, can understand the statistic a little bit better, they it's not necessarily in childbirth, but um, 
could be in childbirth or childbirth related. But that is true that in 2021, um, I think it's, it's a little more than 2.5 times more likely um, non, non-Hispanic black women than non-Hispanic white women to um, die of maternal mortality. Well, so, if, if it's childbirth related, does that include uh, any immediate postpartum period or is this just exactly. while pregnant? So, oh, it's all of that. Yeah, so it includes that postpartum period, which is often actually times when there's the most complications. Um, Yeah, and the Black Library in um, Monticello, in connection with um, MISN, the Maternal Infant Services Network, hosted this screening to kind of shed some light on this very glaring statistic. Um, The documentary is called Aftershock. It's it's on Hulu if, if anyone wants to wants to watch it, um, and it follows the families of two um, women who died due to um, maternal mortality in, in pretty avoidable circumstance, um, both of whom were black. And so, and it kind of shows how the families deal with that and how they kind of take on this this quest to hopefully improve those statistics in our country. And also, in the U.S., maternal mortality is the highest than any other um, developed country. So it's like, it's a very, it's an outlier. Um, And one of the things that the documentary specifically um, kind of ties this increase to in maternal mortality in um, black women is uh, the increase in cesarean sections in low risk situations. So a cesarean section can is it can often be very necessary in certain instances when when giving birth, but oftentimes um, it doesn't need to be, and they've seen a, an increased use of those in hospitals, and that can be for many reasons. They're oftentimes easier to schedule, they're quicker, um, and they are often associated with like larger uh, insurance reimbursements. So there's definitely incentives in that way, um, and. In Sullivan County specifically, these um, there's a higher rate of these cesarean sections in low-risk births um, among black mothers than white. So it's 10% higher. And cesarean sections, though sometimes necessary in these low-risk situations, often can lead to these postpartum issues that are infection and uh, clotting and where there's um, higher risk for maternal mortality. So it's definitely like... It's just an important thing to keep in mind, and it definitely started a conversation about maternal mortality in the county and specifically about the use of, of cesarean sections in conjunction with that. Yeah, I mean, did the county come up just because, like, these are national numbers, so, I mean, it would affect anybody in the demographic that they're talking about, or, or were there any uh, additional uh, information or numbers that, that reflect on, on or, or stories of people that reflect on uh, how this is impacting people locally? Yeah, um, there was definitely a lot of stakeholders from the county who attended. There was people who were from um, Sullivan 180, Fearless, and um, a couple of different um, gynecologists from Sun River Health who provide um, maternal care in the county. And I think they definitely all, there was a discussion after they all came away with, you know, wanting to be cognizant of these different potential factors that can increase the incidence of maternal mortality, particularly among black women. Um, 
and Patrina Natasha Philip King, who's um, an OBGYN at Sun River, was talking about how they've just expanded their um, maternal care offerings, especially in postpartum um, period. So that, you know, hopefully that will tackle. But it's definitely, I think, the statistic of cesarean sections in low-risk cases being 10% higher among black mothers is in Sullivan County is pretty jarring, specifically also just because of the racial breakdown. It's not even with that. So that's definitely something to to be looked at and was brought up in like my research um, coming away from this film. Yeah. But the film also just getting the fact that uh, what role that just uh, uh, bias and racism might play. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what um, a member of um, Sullivan 180, who was there, Amanda Ling Sater, senior director of prevention and programming, really was was like, this is this is a real, you know, racial injustice and racism in the medical field exists. And it's something that we need to be talking about on a national level, but also in our county. Right. And for more information on the Black Library and events that they got coming up, uh, we had uh, one of the co-founders on this morning on Radio Chatskill. And folks can find that in the Radio Chatskill podcast or at WJFFradio.org. Uh, but while we're on the topic of libraries, let's uh, cross the river into <laughs> Wayne County. Um, you got a piece talking about the Wayne County Library? Yes, I do. And also at the Black Library, sorry, there's um, they have a couple of books on maternal mortality. So if anyone's interested in reading more about the subject, you can take those books out at the library there. They got the resources right there. Great. Mm-hmm. But yes, yes, libraries, libraries all day. They're the star of the show. Good. I'm for it. Yeah. So Wayne yeah. County. Um, so is is the name of the library the Wayne County Library? Wayne Library. Yes, the Wayne County Library. <laughs> Okay, so what's what's the story about? Um, so there was this 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 came out of this apparent rumor that the Wayne County Library was closing. Um, they, you know, announced that they were having uh, funding issues and people were concerned. So just to be clear, the Wayne County Library in the near future will not be closing and will remain open, um, but through. Um, a reporter, um, Ted Waddell, he learned kind of more about how the library sustains itself and what they really need. Um, and they definitely do have precarious, you know, funding. And I think some people, it was able to shed some light on maybe the misconception that there was plenty of money or that there wasn't enough money. Um, and so basically they, 50% of their budget about is, is, uh, county funded, but 30% of that is, um, you know, at the grace of the specific, um, sorry, at the specific county commissioner. So depending on who's in charge, they might have that 30%. So only 20% of the operational budget is, is state funded and secured. So they basically, the, um, Tracy Schwartz, the director, was discussing um, with the River Reporter just about how they oftentimes have to then spend a lot of their time trying to find different avenues of funding for the library rather than doing their job. 
And the library has actually increased a lot of its offerings for the community of Wayne County. They do, like, a bunch of um, work improving digital literacy, which has been super, super important. And she was specifically, um, Ms. Schwartz was speaking about this in upcoming tax season. A lot of people have won't won't understand how to file their taxes and need to do it online or access different social security and are able to come to the library and receive that help and receive that assistance. Um, so the services that they are providing are vital and needing to constantly be looking for, for funding um, in order to sustain the library um, puts a strain, is what Tracy really explained. But wanted to make it clear that the library is not closing. Okay, great. And um, and this article and everything that we've been uh, talking about is uh, available at, uh, is, is up now at riverreporter.com, right? That's true. Okay. We're going to take a quick break, but I want to thank you, uh, Ruby, for taking the time to go over all of this with us. Thanks so much. Bye. You are listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Canoza Hall, featuring 22 guest rooms, a fine dining restaurant with full bar by Foster Supply Hospitality's award-winning culinary team, outdoor lakeview seating, and a full-service spa. CanozaHall.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, RiverReporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. Donna Fellenberg here. This Saturday on Catskill Character, I'll be speaking with recording engineer and climate activist Gray Russell. Gray's story is all about rock and roll, having worked at the record plant in New York City with over 100 artists, and climate activism, from the New York Botanical Gardens to his last 20 years as the sustainability officer for the town of Montclair, New Jersey. That's Saturday, 10.30 on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local edition. I'm your host, Jason Dole. With the growing demand for mental health resources in New York State, Astor Services has taken a step towards expanding access to essential care by extending its mental and behavioral health services to Sullivan and Rockland counties. It's a community-based nonprofit organization providing children's mental health services, child welfare services, early childhood development services, and here to tell us more about Astor coming to Sullivan County is Megan York, Regional Director of Outpatient Clinics for Astor Services in Hudson Valley Clinics. Welcome to the program, Megan. Hi, thank you for having me. And I'm you. I think I'm saying two different things here. Should I be saying Astor or Astor? Astor. Astor. That that makes more sense. Like like Lady Astor. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, what motivated uh, Astor Services to extend its mental behavioral health services to Sullivan and Rockland counties? Well, Astor Services has been a provider of mental health and behavioral health services for children, young adults, and their families for over 70 years. We've been providing longstanding programming in Dutchess, Ulster, Orange, and Bronx counties through all those years. 
Um, so we saw a need presented, and we felt that it matched the programming that we already feel we do really well. There were also extensive conversations with leadership in both those county, counties about what their communities needed, and we made decisions on what services we thought we could provide to best meet those needs. Now, in the the little introduction, I said, you know, uh, I mentioned several times young, uh, basically, uh, child's health care and young people's. Is that the primary focus of Aster? So historically, yes. Um, we've expanded into working with young adults and um, adults over the age of 26. But in Sullivan County, we're focused on 27 and under. And, you know, uh, the commissioner for Division of, of Health and Family Services, John Little, was uh, in studio with us at the beginning of the week and actually mentioned Aster Services as we were talking about how they had to hustle to uh, help uh, young people that were impacted by the surprising closure of Sullivan Head Start. So I'm just referencing that for the listener because uh, that was kind of where our conversation tonight actually started in some ways is by that mention there. Now we're getting the oh, rest great. of the story here. Uh, where is the clinic in Sullivan County located? Located. It's in Liberty. It's at 20 Community Lane. It's, it's probably there with with the rest of Sullivan County uh, Department of Family Services and Social Services there. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So right there, there's a lot of resources and services for folks right in that uh, little area. It's off of Sunset Lake. Uh, you know, down down next to Sunset Lake. It's off of Sunset Lake Road past the Sullivan County Veterans Cemetery in Hennessy Park, in case anybody's never been there. That's where that's all at. So, um, and how, how long have you been open here? Um, we opened officially on January 10th. That's when we were on site. We were providing telehealth services prior to that, but we were officially on site as of January 10th. Wow. So just like, uh, just over a month. Um, yes. so, uh, what, programs and services uh, will you offer in Sullivan County? So currently we're offering individual and family therapy. As I mentioned before, um, we're focused on ages 27 and under. So it's birth through the 26th year. Um, right now we're working on building our services in Sullivan County. So right now we are using those in-person services. So the therapy services, and then we're also using telehealth to bring in our other providers, which are like our, our psychiatrists and our psychiatric nurse practitioners. Now, what about just addressing the increasing mental health needs in these communities, especially as, you know, these, this is a fairly rural area? Yes. Yes. Um, so looking at kind of the needs in a rural area, I feel like the mix of both having telehealth available as well as in-person can help with that. We understand that not everybody always has access to good um, broadband for their internet. So we, that's why we provide the in-person ability. And then telehealth, we feel, can help create a pathway to services that didn't always exist to people that maybe had issues with transportation or childcare. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of the catch-22 around here is, is it's a double whammy that, you know, there's... Uh, everything is far away. People have to travel. It's a it's a big yeah. county with a few people in it. So travel and transportation is always an issue. But then so is connectivity, connectivity there and broadband services and things like that. Sure. So remote options that should help with that don't always help. There's probably people that get stuck between those two things. And that's part of the challenge that we face in providing lots of services for folks. Any other uh, challenges that Aster Services might face in implementing and sustaining uh, these new programs in Sullivan and Rockland counties? Well, 
I think our biggest challenge right now is time. It takes time to get started. It takes time to really build our relationships with the community, time to build trust within the community and with the other providers within the community. We really want to show that we're here to stay and that we're willing to be a part of the community. Um, we feel that we've had a good bedrock of services in our other communities in Ulster, Dutchess, Orange, Bronx, and we want to really bring those to Sullivan and Rockland. And this expansion in, you know, moving a little further upstate, Rockland County, Sullivan County, uh, and then just also the work that you do, is this reflecting any larger trends about treating mental health in New York State? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, the access to telehealth is definitely a big trend within mental health in New York State. Um, with, you know, we're living in a post-pandemic world and telehealth really became a, an access point for a lot of people during covid so the continuation of telehealth is definitely um, reflecting a broader trend. Um, as I mentioned before, it creates an access point for people that may have had barriers previously, um, but also the um, expansion into school districts. So um, school-based mental health is a very big trend. I know our governor has um, prioritized that with children's mental health. Um, Sullivan had an existing program in the schools, and we're looking to reinvigorate that as we bring back school-based mental health on top of the outpatient clinic that we also have. And I just saw headlines in the last week. In fact, here's a headline from NPR uh, from just last week. Uh, it says K through 12 students learned uh, a lot last year, but they're still missing too much school. And basically talking about how, you know, COVID is done, but the impact that it had on young people's education and their well-being mm -hmm. is still being felt. There's still repercussions. So everybody's kind of Absolutely. dealing on multiple fronts. Are you seeing that? Absolutely. Yeah, I think the the future ramifications of everything that happened during the pandemic is still playing out, but we're definitely focused on children's academic success as well as supporting their mental health at the same time. And do you, do you work along with these, like as a counseling center, do you work with these school-based programs or, or is that something you're going to be doing uh, first person as, as a service of Aster? So Aster Services does provide both um, collaboration with schools for, in our outpatient clinics, and then we also have clinics embedded in school districts, and the plan is to be within Sullivan as well. All right. And uh, how are you partnering or collaborating uh, with anyone to, you know, roll out this expansion of your services in, into Sullivan County? Sure. Well, in the beginning, we collaborated with Sullivan to make sure that those that were formally receiving services were able to have be connected to us in a clear pathway. So we had a list of people. We had clear referrals. We made sure that we were completing something we call a warm handoff, where people didn't have to wait for services to start, and we could provide a full system of care. Um, we also collaborate, as I mentioned, the school districts, of course, but we also collaborate with hospitals and other behavioral health agencies. We have a hospital liaison that helps families find the best way to navigate to continued care after inpatient hospitalization. And that's generally through in Rockland with the partial hospitalization program and then with us with the outpatient program. All right, Megan, is there anything else you wanted to let folks know before we let you go? Well, if you want to access our services, we have a website. It's Aster Services, A-S-T-O-R-S-E-R-V-I-C-E-S.org. If you want to call for an intake with our Liberty Clinic, the number is 845-516-7799 or access 
the Rockland Partial Hospitalization Program is 845-405-4146. And can can you give that Sullivan number one more time in case somebody was trying to catch it? Sure can. Yes, for Sullivan, it's 845-516-7799. And again, the website is astroservices.org. You got it. And we have been talking with uh, Megan York, Regional Director of Outpatient Clinics for Astor Services, Hudson Valley Clinics. Megan, thank you for taking the time to go over all this with us, and best of luck. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for the local edition tonight. Thanks again for being here with us. We'll be back tomorrow night to do it all over again at 6 o'clock. Tim Bruno will be back tomorrow morning at 10 for Radio Chatskill, so we'll have more local news and conversations then. In the meantime, do stick around. Coming up at 7 o'clock, we got great music from the Retro Cocktail Hour. And before that, it's The Daily coming up next. Let's take a quick look at the weather, though, before we go. And uh, we've got some clouds this evening. It'll become mainly clear overnight and cold as it gets down to 17 tonight. A bit warmer tomorrow than it was today. Partly cloudy in the morning. Increasing clouds with periods of snow possible later in the day. High around 35. And as systems come in, so too does wind. And there is a wind advisory that'll go into effect uh, tomorrow evening at 6. But we'll keep an eye on that for you. This is Radio Catskill and The Daily is up next. W- Support comes from Jeff Bank, Sullivan County's Community Bank, celebrating 110 years of service this year, offering deposit and loan products for all your banking needs. Member FDIC and an equal housing lender. National Mortgage Licensing System and Registry Identification Number 405318. Jeff Bank, still banking strong. And support comes from listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. You're listening to Radio Catskill, WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello, 